Welcome, listeners, to the NK News podcast, recorded here in Seoul on May 16, 2018. I am your host, Jacko Zwetslut. Joining me here in the studio today from NK News are NK bossman Chad O'Carroll. 안녕하세요. Writer come extraordinaire Oliver Hotham. Hi there. And full-time DJ Doug Yom G. 안녕하세요. Today on our roundtable, we'll be looking at the latest news in North Korea over the last three and a half weeks since we recorded our last post-inter-Korean summit extravaganza. Once again, NK News is proud to offer a free year's subscription to one reviewer who reviews our podcast, not only at iTunes, but also other possible podcast platforms. There's a lot of P's in there. I like alliteration. Also, you can save $50 off your NK News subscription by using the code podcast at the checkout. Don't forget, if you enjoy our podcast, the NK News podcast, please share it with other so that our listenership will continue to grow. All right, let's kick off with this morning. We woke up here in South Korea to news that North Korea had cancelled today's slated high-level working talks with South Korean officials because of somebody called Max Thunder. Dagyom, who or what is Max Thunder? Um, so North Korea informed the Moon Jae-in government of its decision to cancel the high-level inter-Korean meeting at around midnight today, citing the two-week annual bilateral training exercise called Max Thunders between the US and South Korea, which have been like implemented since last week. So Max Thunders are kind of exercise? Yeah, it's military exercise like four eagles and Kiwi Drove. Basically, air combat exercises conducted between the two countries, Washington and Seoul. So we're halfway into the middle of Max Thunder, and all of a sudden we wake up and North Korea says, not coming to the meeting. So we had in the statement that you referred to, well, the statement that Dagim referred to, the North Koreans released that after they told the South Koreans, they said, we're not interested in the talks today. Um, we're going to pull out because of Max Thunder. And then they suggested that, well, there's a possibility because of all of this nastiness that we will um, not be involved in the summit that's set to take place on June 12th. Mm. Wow, that sounds dire. Now, is North Korea maneuvering here for some leverage advantage, or is the summit actually off? What do people think? It's, it's worth also adding that there were two statements by the North Koreans. There was the one in the middle of the night that was mainly about them complaining about the South Koreans, and yep. then there was a second one by a North Korean diplomat and um, senior foreign, foreign ministry official essentially squarely aimed at the United States, saying, these are all our grievances. We don't like Bolton. We don't like what he's been saying. We don't like the Libya comparison. And so we will reconsider the summit, is what they said. But, I mean, if you look at what North Korea has done since January 1, mm. it's provided a lot of concessions unilaterally. It's right. given a lot, up a lot of its bargaining leverage, you know, unilateral offer to suspend missile tests, ICBM, sorry, tests, mm. nuclear tests, acceptance of the delayed joint US ROK mm. drills, you know, there's been lots of bits that it's it's been okay with. And I think this is the North Koreans ahead of the summit just reminding the US it, it will refuse to, to be a doormat and it still has teeth and it still has interests that need to be addressed by uh, the US, especially when this summit does take place. And in addition, I mean, it we haven't been able to confirm this yet, but there, have, there were reports in Yonhap last week about the fact that B-52 bombers would be involved in this drill. Uh, there are F-22 Raptors. Those aircraft, uh, we don't know if the B-52s actually have been involved. There was a report today that they may have been dropped because of this complaint. But those kind of heavy and advanced aircraft, 
they don't really sit well with some of the things that were agreed at the Panmunjom Joint Declaration, which included, of course, um, you know, trying to find ways to reduce military tension and and so on. So it seems that the North Koreans are, are trying to remind Washington that, you know, it still has very serious concerns of its own and it's not going to just just roll over. It's almost as if uh, Kim Jong-un doesn't know that the B-52s sang Love Shack. <laughs> or Rot Lobster. Well, that's but not so thematic, Love Shack. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> you were going to say, Oliver? Um, I was going to say what's interesting about the uh, foreign ministry statement is that it's very directed at certain people. Mm. What they say about... Mike Pompeo, we're coming to him later on, but did they say anything specific about they him? They didn't say, they didn't specifically mention Pompeo. So he gets I think, a free pass. Well, he, in theory, he does because they didn't deliberately mention his name, but mm. they did poo poo a lot of things that he's been saying. So ah. they specifically, there was a lot of hype about some comments that Pompeo made about how, um, if North Korea agreed to a nuclear deal, there might be some kind of economic cooperation. He said that the US would send its best private entrepreneurs into right. North Korea to help them with development. And the North Koreans today said, we are not interested in that. We would never ask for help from the Americans on our economy, et cetera, et cetera. Did they say anything about Bolton's mustache? They did not. They called him a pseudo-patriot, though, which I quite like. A pseudo-patriot? Yeah, like the statement is partially singled out John Bolton's. Mm. And I think the main purpose of issuing this statement is to criticize John Bolton. And I don't believe the target is the Trump itself, the Ah. President Trump itself. So they didn't uh, reiterate calling Trump a dotard or anything? No, no, they didn't. But but Oliver noticed something interesting earlier, which is I've noticed is kind of it's been overlooked Mm. in on Twitter and mainstream media, which was the the huge focus on South Korea in this. You, you know, that was this. The, in the first statement, yeah. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like I mean, it you you, you search the term South Korea and it popped up dozens of times in that statement, uh, which made it. And everyone just picked up on the fact that there was this implicit threat that the summit may be cancelled. Mm. But actually, a lot of that seemed to be focused towards South Korea. Interesting. It was much more of a list of. It was a bit. It reminded me, at least, and um, Fyodor as well. When we talked about it, of back in January when the inter-Korean stuff had just started to kick off and the North had this kind of petty little thing where they were complaining about media coverage and they pulled out a a North Korean delegation was supposed to go to the South to um, visit some, I kind of, feels like years ago. Yeah, Yeah, it was was that cultural delegation. uh, And the North Koreans cancelled it at the last minute and everyone thought, and everyone was saying, oh, well, this is the end. You know, it all started off, but that's, you know, and the North Koreans were complaining about media coverage Mm -hmm. and other things and protesters, I think, as well. And, you know, it all just kind of pulled over. I mean, so yeah, what I was saying is the first statement kind of felt like a list of everything that South Korea has done wrong recently. So in the context of all that, then, I just want to take a quick straw poll of the three of you here. Will the June 12th summit between Trump and Kim in Singapore still go ahead? Dagyeom? Yeah, it's definitely go ahead, like from my understanding, because when you look into the statement issued by Kim Gegon, it's... I mean, the statement is by Kim Gegon is different from like KCNA commentary or spokesperson's commentary of spokesperson commentary of the like foreign ministry. It's quite low key statement, so we have to like remember that this is not like high key statement, and this is like strong criticism on the Trump administrations mm-hmm. compared to the previous ones. Okay, uh, Oliver, I think it's probably still going to happen. 
Well, I hope it happens because we've got non-refundable tickets to the or uh, hotel bookings for the Shangri-La where we're hoping the summit will take place so we can get ringside seats and non-refundable flights. So I want to put uh, on record here that I'm prepared to take a hit for the team and uh, just go down and chick- uh, chill out at the Shangri-La if there's no summit. <laughs> I, I think because you, you know, the, the work still needs to go on here. I can take a few days off my work and go down there. Oh, so boss, can you, could you promise that we can still go? Even oh, though it doesn't take place in front of like, audience. on the hot seat in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> I have to, I have to make some consultations. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, the thing, the, the problem with this is such a ostent. I actually know not much about the hotel except the price, but it. <laughs> I just imagine we'll get there and be holed away in a conference room in freezing air conditioning, and uh, probably get like an hour a day to experience it. So it's going to be. We're not going to really see much. Uh, Chad, moving on, what is going on in Wonsan? I see a, uh, a story that you reported yesterday that over 170 buildings are being built on the Kalma Peninsula. In January, Kim Jong-un, in his New Year's speech, he mentioned that there was a new construction project going on in Wonsan, Kalma. Soon after that, uh, the Daily NK reported that there had been some deployments of soldier workers, civilians out there, and then Curtis mm. Melvin on the NK Econ Watch picked up some activity on satellite imagery. He's good with the satellite imagery. Very good. Yeah. Um, Hi, Curtis, if you're listening. Since then, we've been working with our partners at Planet Labs who provide really good satellite imagery mm. around the clock of the whole world. World, actually, oh, wow. and they shared with us a very high resolution image that they've just recently been able to provide through a new high resolution satellite they've got in orbit. Oh, fantastic! Um, and this is great product placement for them. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the the astounding thing was this image of the peninsula taken, I think, April 27th. Um, I bothered to count all the buildings, and we knew that this was going to be a large project. North Korean media have been all over it, but there has been no real detail compared to previous construction projects of just how many buildings are going to be going up there. And yeah, there were over 170 buildings. Now, this construction site is over 4.5 kilometers long. Mm -hmm. It's up to about 0.6 kilometers wide. It includes a large artificial lake. It's built right adjacent to this brand new airport. You look at the KCTV video of these soldier workers, just like with this massive Ryomyong Street project uh, a year or two ago, there are uh, stadium-style lights overlooking it for Mm. soldier-built workers to work through the night. It's a a colossal endeavor. And we're talking about buildings on the hotel end of the spectrum, mostly at around 10 floors high, which is not nothing by North Korean standards, Mm. but... What's interesting is that the date scheduled for completion from sources we've heard on the ground has been said to be July 27th, Victory Day. Oh, um, that would be, we're, we're, we're what, May 10th? What's the date today? Well, it'll be, it'll be six, today's the 16th, so it's just over two months from now, but it's just over six weeks from the, uh, the Kim-Trump summit. For any Brits who are alive in the late 80s, they'll know a show called Challenge Annika, which was all about building things in rapid time again against gravity effectively and mm. that that's the kind of thing that this would be if, if they can pull it off by then I'd be shocked but could you give us the dimensions of the whole project you said it was 4.6 4.5 5. kilometers along the beach from north to south yep. and then approximately 5, uh, 0.5 kilometers wide um, it, it does shrink in parts I would estimate 
once it's done, high thousands, maybe even low tens of thousands in terms of hotel accommodation. So these 170 buildings, are they more or less the same in terms of visible purpose and dimensions? No, it's a variety. You've got these villas surrounding this artificial lake, and then you've got more mass tourism type stuff you might find in, is it Hyundai Beach in Busan? Yeah. yeah, that kind of style uh, and other part of it and then it looks like there's going to be loads of features in between what's interesting though is it's right literally adjacent to this brand new airport so mm-hmm. yes. i mean if they have one flight a day no sound problems but if it picks up and becomes like uh, a booming tourist destination that might annoy some people well no that does lead to the question does one sun really have the infrastructure to be a tourist hub well it will do when this is done and the airport finally starts to get some traffic mm. but what's been curious is that speaking to sources on the ground in north korea and in especially the travel industry it seems a lot of locals in pyongyang are completely unaware of this project even though it is being featured somewhat on state media Um, and no one seems to know what the intended purpose of it is but some sources have said that it appears likely it's designed for south korean tourists Mm. now if you think about it south korean tourism to the north has been banned since 2008 when that uh, yeah banned from the south korean side i should point out yes when a south korean female was shot dead as she walked through a military zone around 4 a.m or 3 a.m very very strange case but maybe there are negative optics associated with resuming tourism to places like kumgangsan where that shooting Mm. incident took place you know if North Korea was able to incentivize South Korea to resume tourism, then this could be a great spot to do it. Tristan Webb, uh, NK Pro Analyst, showed me on a map how it's if, if there was a direct flight or direct land route, it would actually be easier to get to this beach than to Pusan. Um, get out. So, from, so, starting from where? Seoul, oh, from, from Seoul. Seoul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's a quicker route mm. and you have the added interest of being in north korea you also have developing those types of routes is really the type of thing that the moon administration is trying to do with these you know creating this joint infrastructure fixing the railways yeah all of that that it would be quite a good step to do that type of thing without the sanctions issue yeah and there are no sanctions prohibiting tourism i mean when you look at it the way Tristan pointed out is that different governments have different travel advice on going to North Korea. The fact that there are countries that don't advise against it does show that it's it's clearly not sanctioned by the UN. Um, and we, we obviously have Corio Tours, YPT, all these firms uh, allowing people to go. So it has potential. I'd, I'd definitely go if it opens. I love Wonsan. It's, I've had a few great beach trips there it's a very interesting place yeah i love to go because there's no way that i can go to north korea except for tourism so yeah as a south korean tourist yeah isn't, i would love to go isn't one sound famous for those gasoline cooked clams nampo so, well yeah, nampo. exactly we, we've had them in nampo you can have them i think and you can even have them have them in the moranbong park in pyongyang on uh, any national holiday i mean you can see them pretty much anywhere can't you pretty disgusting anywhere you've got clams and gasoline hey presto barbecue can't imagine soul lights liking that they'll want, they'll <laughs> I, want, I they'll like want starbucks you know <laughs> <Harry> Cross <Hall. laughs> now 
Wonsan Airport, uh, it's a converted Air Force base that's now an airport, right? So yeah, when I was looking at the Planet Labs imagery just yesterday evening, I noticed something really interesting, which is if you scroll down for, uh, south from the entrance area to the new airport, there's this road which leads to a smaller runway. And if you follow that down about a mile away from the airport in a sort of wooded secluded area, you can see about... 15 or 20 military jets mm. um, and I then looked at it in Google Earth and you can browse back and it, it it seems they've got a stock of military jets just ready nearby that could drive up this road and use the airport at any time so it okay. it doesn't seem like it's a true civilian airport right. there's still a military it's, dimension to it it's dual use <laughs> it's dual use, and yeah. I'm sure yeah. sanctions geeks will be able to discern lots of violations that aircraft yeah. going there could could um, create. But important to recognise is there's only been one international flight there since its quasi opening mm. in 2015, yeah. and that was a Asiana flight during the Pyeongchang Olympics oh. to bring South Korean skiers to train at Mashik Ryong. Oh, yeah. My question about that is that is that an international flight? It's from North South Korea to North Korea. Right. So according to both Koreas, no, not international. But yeah. according to the UN, it might be deemed international because there's two Koreas in the UN. I don't know. Hopefully the readers will write in and explain it. <laughs> Come back at me later. <laughs> but I'll, yeah. I'll just say something interesting about this airport that a, um, a North Korean diplomat once pointed out to me, which is that there's never actually been an official opening ceremony of Wonsan Kalma Airport. Mm. Kim Jong-un has never visited the passenger terminal. He's visited the construction site while it was being raised, but there's never been an official ceremony. So while there have been some tourist groups that have gone there and it was used for this Ajana flight, it's very unlike most large-scale North Korean construction projects where there is a big red tape kind of mm. opening thing. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, and if you look at it on the satellite imagery, one of the runways is actually incomplete. There was a, an air show there in 2016 uh, organized by Juche Tours and they actually used the second runway kind of beer festival area. <laughs> and apparently the runway was kind of covered in pebbles that make it look like a runway. Mm. But it's when you look at it from above, it's in very, very bad condition. Potemkin runway. A fun way. <laughs> uh, okay, so moving on. Uh, Dagyong, yesterday you wrote a story on the South Korean Small Business Institute, or COSBI. Apparently, it is looking at ways to help North Korean businesses to incorporate global value chains. First of all, what are global value chains? So, in one word, global value chain is the international fragmentations of productions, and we can simply understand as like like all the functional activities recur in the process of value creations involving more than one countries, the worldwide. Is that one word? <laughs> question on yeah, it's one word and I added explanations <laughs> it's it's basically like it's basically business activities at the multilateral levels mm-hmm. including multinational corporations so called MNC how would North Korean businesses incorporate global value change is that like you know North Korea produces a part and then sends it to a car manufacturer in another country that gets used in a, is that an example of that sort of thing 
It sounds like the type of thing that would be very sanctions vulnerable if it was if it actually did happen. I mean, the project is a kind of interesting research project, and it shows that the South Korean government and South Korean government linked bodies are kind of interested in examining these types of things. But it's not something that could feasibly be done right now because it would see North Korean factories working with South Korean companies exporting goods to China, Russia, and I mean that is. Lots of red flags. So, I mean, so many red flags. Basically, my understanding is that the South Korean government has been preparing for the upcoming inter-Korean economic cooperations, even though we can't do anything because of tough international sanctions. Mm. But in a nutshell, like the South, South Korean small and medium-sized business want to boost inter-Korean industrial cooperations so that uh, we can support North Korea economy to incorporate into global value chains based on like enhanced inter-Korean economic cooperations. I don't think it's feasible as of now, but mm. I think the Moon government eventually achieved the goal based on their agenda. Right, but you'd have to get rid of international sanctions against North Korea. Don't forget, Pompeo was talking yeah. just two, three yeah. days ago about how, yeah. you know, if it all goes well at this summit, there'll be all this U.S. private investment. And so yes, 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 but I want to leave Pompeo until later on. I just want to focus on the inter-Korean side of this. No, thing. but the reason I raise oh. it is because... Yeah. If he's talking about that, that would also require a massive reduction in sanctions, which is True. a precondition for what Dagiam is talking about. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's interesting that the US of all players is, you know, on a Fox Sunday interview is talking about mm-hmm. something that requires massive reversal of sanctions. So Mike Pompeo basically said if North Korea achieved the like full denuclearizations, they yeah. will allow U.S. company to enter the U.S. market and make North Korean inv- market, uh, yeah. North Korean market mm-hmm. and make direct investment. Okay. That's the key point of Pompeo's remarks. If if U.S. company can make investment into the North Korean market, I believe South Korean company also can make direct investment. I think the key point is not about sanctions, but the point. The problem is. How North Korea can regain credibility because the Kaesong industrial complex has been shut down twice and all the companies should, yeah, was kicked out by the North Korea unilaterally. And I was there when they went away from the KIC back in 2016. The issue is not about like sanctions. The issue is whether South Korean companies are willing to reinvest their money into North Korean market in spite of like experience in the past. But it seems as that there's been rumors of property values around Paju and uh, the, the DMZ area like really shooting up on the South Korean side. Yeah. And we're seeing it on the Chinese side as well up in Dandong. I've seen, I've been reading today all these state media reports from People's Daily, Global Times about how prices there have just been skyrocketing and to me it seems as frankly a bit of fickleness among a lot of people who are watching these scenes of inter-Korean symmetry and they know the Trump one is ahead and believe that these summits alone mark the start of a major revitalization of North Korea in mass investment but I kind of side with skeptics yeah. on on this because I mean we've we've been through this so many times and I think it does pay to be very cautious about making investments so soon and but the way these things always happen is that unless you're unless you do have that type of optimism when you do find when it does finally become obvious that this is actually going to happen 
it's already too late. Yeah, well, well that's exactly. true with Bitcoin and Korea. Bitcoin Somebody's going to be the winner. Somebody's going to be the first, you know. Yeah. And if you all, you know. Yeah, I also met South Korean like business people working for big corporations. I can't name it, but their logic is that if U.S. company make investment in advance, they are willing to like put money into North Korean market. That's their logic. But the thing with North Korea that we've seen time and time again, and this is where my pessimism comes in, is that investors' rights investors who succeed consistently lose out that like i i'm not aware of many anything beyond small to medium-sized enterprises who have and most notably chinese ones that are able to turn a profit and repatriate their money without problems on a regular basis i mean you look at the history of north korea importing volvos in the 1970s you look at the whole orascom scandal um the issues with the orascom repatriating its profits there are i mean north korean finance business history is like littered with examples of DPRK yeah. taking over. And- I mean, we published a column about this yesterday, I think, by Peter Ward, shout out to Peter Ward, about this idea that there was going to be some kind of Vietnam-style reforms in North Korea. And I mean, it is tempting to get into the optimism of everything, but ultimately the reality is that is a completely ridiculous comparison. Yeah. I mean... Uh, North Korea doesn't really have any private property laws. The market regulations are non-existent. Everything right. is still essentially owned by the state. The history of companies like RSCOM, as you mentioned, that have tried to go in and make, you know, not even turn a profit, but just get their money back is so, so bad. I don't, I don't imagine any intelligent business person would consider North Korea as, a, as an investment opportunity. And why does it help Kim Jong-un and his base of power if you have pockets of massive economic power emerging in the private? sector in North Korea because pockets of economic power equate to pockets of political power which mm. equate to a challenge to Kim Jong-un's hegemonic leadership. Well yeah and uh, the, I mean the fact that it's private industry that's supposed to go in there and help North Korea build I mean that if you did if in some hypothetical situation you did have massive amounts of American aid into North Korea I think that could also help Kim Jong-un and the elites a little if Kim if elite power is guaranteed in North Korea then you have all of this foreign money coming in I'm sure everyone gets rich but investment means eventually the profits of those investments flow back to the United States into the capital the pockets of American capitalists now the second that that first uh, transfer of, of uh, dividends from North Korea to America is made there goes that whole image of uh, American money flowing into North Korea I mean that's what that's why private companies invest they invest to make money right Obviously were told when they were to- when they wanted to get their profits out, you have to do it at the uh, approved exchange rate. Now, if if they tried that with the American companies, it could get ugly real quick. But I want to move on now to Taeyong Ho, the former DPRK deputy ambassador to the United Kingdom, says that Kim Jong-un plans to expand special economic zones to inland areas and create some 14 zones structured like the Kaesong Industrial Complex. Uh, why is this? Personally, I believe that Kim Jong-un doesn't like the concept of specialized economic like zones or like opening market to the like foreign companies, but apparently not. Like I was wrong in a way. Mm. So the basically the reason why Kim Jong-un preferred to make special economic zone is that he believes that he can like counter the influx of information and he can counter, he can limit the free movement of North Korea by 
holding them into the like special zones. Yeah, so it's a similar concept to the Kaesong Industrial Complex. Right. So uh, 50,000 people like work together at the same place mm. so they can limit the movement of Kaesong residents and they can actually restrict the like influence of the information. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that's more easier for the Norwegian government to counter people in Changmadang, its ah, informal market. Yes. So Kumgangsan, Kaesong, we're seeing the same thing again, basically, if, if Tae is right. Now, Tae also said that Kim Jong-un is not about to give up his nukes, no way, never know how. What does he base that on? So basically, Tae said that CVID is impossible. So instead of CVID, North Korea will pursue SVID. S here means sufficient instead of complete. Mm-hmm. So the reason why CVID is impossible is that Tae believed that to achieve the CVID, North Korea opened the country the external like world right to through the like multiple investigation and multiple process verifications Kim Jong-un doesn't want to open his country to the like external world if he open his countries to the like world he believes that itself it will jeopardize the stability of Kim regimes by opening his countries to the external market uh, external world so that is why the CVID is basically impossible and it's not work for North Korea. But does he want to open his heart? Kim Jong-un. Scrap that one, Never mind. Um, Don't do it, yeah. Uh, so Tae is in effect warning South Koreans to be on their guard and not to be fooled by Kim Jong-un's charm offensive. But I understand that there's been some pushback. Well, the pushback has come from North Korean state media, which has done its typical description of a defector as human scum effectively ah, um, right yeah. and there was i don't know maybe doug and oliver can provide specifics but it came it was detailed within one of these complaints that implied that north korea may, may not be willing to go ahead with the summit mm. it talked about you know amidst all this rapprochement south korea is still allowing human scum to they said that there's human trash had been allowed to speak at the national assembly obviously obviously a reference to tay and that was one of the reasons you know it was part of the laundry list of grievances they had against the south which reminds us a little bit of their complaints in january about how the south was allowing conservative outlets to slam the north it's all that sort of typical north korean stuff now speaking of north koreans living in south korea let's talk about the 12 waitresses from the north korean restaurant in ningbo china who came here two years ago they're now living lives in south korea but have never spoken to the media yet there have been suspicions and calls from some sections of the south korean left that these girls were somehow tricked or coerced into coming here apparently to bring a political victory to president former president park's government around the time of the national assembly elections in 2016 what changed last week so there have long been reports in south korean more left-leaning media all of last year that there was something more suspicious about this case a lot of the stories about this case revolved around the manager of the restaurant and um I can't remember his name. Hong Kong, yeah. Reports that he had made some kind of deal with the South Korean National Intelligence Service. The reports were that he himself had always planned to defect, but the NIS encouraged him to bring the 12 women with them. And then the story goes that the women found, only found out they were going to defect when they arrived at the South Korean embassy in Malaysia. At that point, this is what the report on Thursday night in South Korean TV said, that then they were essentially told that if they didn't 
come to the south, they would be uh, handed over to the North Korean secret police who would be told that they had been watching South Korean media and things like that. But what changed was these reports were out here for a while. The reports are not new really at all. What was new was that JTBC interviewed the manager and interviewed four of the women who had supposedly um, come as part of the restaurant defector group. And what was also different was that the Ministry of Unification actually lent a lot more credibility to those reports by saying we're going to look into them. Yeah, that is interesting, isn't it? That the Unification Ministry has said we will investigate this and get to the bottom of it. I mean, how, how can the MOU after two years not know? Mm. It's absurd. The reason they don't know is because they've never been able to have direct access, apparently, yep. because ostensibly the restaurant workers refused to be interrogated by the MOU. Now, why they would refuse, who knows? Uh, the case is very, very strange. And I'll add, well, two things looking at it from different ways. Adding credibility to this, I have a South Korean contact who lived in a Southeast Asian country in 2016. And that contact had a couple of contacts with North Korean diplomats and doing their duty as a honest South Korean told the em- their embassy in that country that they'd had these meetings just to be transparent. Mm-hmm. And an NIS official said, oh, can you see if they'd be interested in defecting? So there seems to have been at I don't know if that's common for the NIS to do that. I can't believe in this administration it would be. But that's just another data point that suggests that kind of activity was going on. At the same time, what what is baffling about this from a reverse perspective is we know that the North Koreans have long demanded that these people be returned. Now, if we assume that they did honestly come to South Korea through their own volition... Perhaps this could be a good way to placate North Korea. And again, this could be new management at the NIS who have encouraged maybe one or two of these figures who did have some doubts and question marks to come forward. Because let's let's remember, journalists have not been able to find these people for the last two years. They've had no independent contact with media. That they've suddenly got interviews on JTBC just Mm. days after the inter-Korean summit where family reunions were agreed on for August 15th and North Korea didn't make a precondition of those women being returned is very suspicious as well. The timing of it is very odd. And so, I mean, conclusion is something very strange has happened here. So I met a lot of like left-wing defectors in organizations and I've asked a lot of questions of 12 defectors from China and no one has met 12 defectors interestingly so I mean this is a special case even defectors doesn't know where about like for two years but they suddenly pop up and like try to speak to JTBC and explain that, oh, we were fooled by NIS. This is quite suspicious. Mm. The problem with this case is even if they do come out and say that we were abducted or if they come out and say we weren't abducted, Mm. we honestly have no way of knowing what the truth is because either their testimony could be being manipulated by North Korean secret police and intelligence services or it's being manipulated by the NAS. It's almost impossible to, which I think is part of the reasons why it is such a strange case. Like if they, if some of them do genuinely want to go back Mm. and they're hindered by this refoulement law, that's equally absurd that their personal right to to freedom of movement is being prevented by human rights law that assumes that they have a uh, non-innocent intention. The fact that as Dagiam said, mm. the, the defector community has been largely unaware of 
who they are, where yeah. they are, the fact that journalists have not been able to find them, the fact that you know these are young ladies that yeah. not a single one of them has told a fellow student or acquaintance that they've met and it's leaked that way suggests to me that they are being shadowed quite closely by relevant authorities who have an interest in mm. preventing this case from escalating in one way or another. But um, that's just conjecture. I don't want to fall afoul of defamation laws here. But no, I went to the Monday news conference like held by Min Byon, who advocated... That's the uh, Lawyers yeah. for Democratic Society yeah, uh, and uh, civic group. Left-wing organizations to call for repatriation of like 12 workers, restaurant workers. Mm. And this is my first time for me to see a large number of NIS agents at the news conference oh. wearing masks and caps. Really? So that, yeah, so that we can't see their face. And what, sitting of, in the audience? Yeah, like sitting behind the audience like journalists. I mean, this is quite unique experience. There were only like more than 20 like civic, 20 people from civic groups. Mm-hmm. And there are also like 10 people from NIS. Like, so it's very tight security. The, the news conference was held under the very tight security. So who they secure, who's securing what? They're, they're securing the Minbyeon? No, they just want to monitor the news conference, mm. yes. Wow. That, that, was, is, that, that is, was intense. That's a bit heavy-handed. Yeah. That is yeah. pretty bizarre. Yeah. With caps and masks, you said. Yeah. Oh, is that someone with a cap and mask outside? Finally, I want to talk about Pungeri, Sometime between May 23rd and 25th, North Korea says that it will decommission its nuclear test site live on camera before the eyes of the world. It sounds great. What's the problem with that, Chad? We were under the impression that scores of journalists would be going. To give you some context, last year at the April military parade when we went, there were probably about 80 journalists all all told. Seems to me from the counts I've been able to confirm of people going that we're probably in the region now of six confirmed US journalists. And uh, is it four or eight South Koreans? Oh, four from one broadcaster and four from one agency. A total of eight. Yeah, so that's uh, 14. And that's all I've heard. That's wow. it. Now, that that's pretty significant. And the other thing is that originally North Korea, Kim Jong-un, pledged to Moon Jae-in at the April 27th event, the summit. We, we, we understand that this communique came from that meeting, that international observers would be welcome to that. And there are so far zero. And as uh, 38 North, Jeffrey Lewis on uh, have all been looking uh, with this satellite imagery and seeing that the North Koreans are already taking steps to dismantle certain parts of the facility. It's interesting that they're cleansing it before journalists arrive. Mm. And the other thing that's interesting is when you're in North Korea, satellite uplink to do live footage, as far as I know, only exists in Pyongyang. I mean, when you look at the North Korean footage of the... Panmunjom meeting, it was a day late because they just don't have the gear to get a live signal out of a remote place like that. Now, if you go up to Panmunjom, uh, sorry, if you go up to Pungeri, there is... Which is really up in the north. Yeah, unless they bring satellite trucks, which I don't believe they have, how are foreign media going to get a live signal? Now, with a demolition like this, the North Koreans have one chance to do this in front of the media. And Mm. That opens a certain amount of risk if you're doing a live broadcast and something goes wrong. So it seems that there is an interest in having some control over the the footage that comes out. And if they have to wait till they get back to Pyongyang, that could be two, three days on the train before that footage even 
gets an opportunity of being sent. I mean, if it happens, it'll be on KCTV before it probably yeah. gets a broadcast, right? I mean, KCTV, it happens, they film it, they take it to Pyongyang, it's on TV the next day. I think the, the crucial thing to bear in mind here is we don't really know what they mean by shutting this down. And mm. there are entrance tunnels to this facility and you could conceivably detonate five meters deep what has really changed that takes five meters of mining in future to to reopen so while there may be some very dramatic images from the outside of the mountain it could well be a very minor step Uh, we have to see but it again i can't reiterate enough how puzzled journalists who were invited Mm. have been by this uh, because as one interlocutor who's very experienced in dealing with north korean media teams has said the north koreans are normally very very organized about these things and this is the second time in less than since april we've had uh, an invitation reversed in very short amount of time with really no real explanation. If a North Korean official listen to our podcast, please invite us to the event. Yeah, I really want to go and yeah. So thank you once again to Chad, Oliver and Daegyeong for coming on the NK News podcast and reviewing the latest news about North Korea. Don't forget, you can listen to all of our shows as well as read full bios and show notes on our website, www.nknews.org. NK News is the leading suppository of North Korean research, news, and analysis, and we hope to see you there. And you can send feedback, comments, questions, or guest suggestions. Cut, cut, cut. Cut. You said suppository. (laughs) Oh, no. You did a Tony Abbott. Uh, You've you've done that outro so many times. Surely Arias can just copy-paste that in from... I don't think you need to do that. Every no, time. but I have to mention the oh. uh, the, the the free subscription again. Oh. Whatever you do, do not say suppository. <laughs> yeah, suppository. Don't say suppository. Supposing I do. <laughs> NK News is the leading repository of North Korean research, news, and analysis, and we hope to see you there. And you can send feedback, comments, questions, or guest suggestions to podcast at nknews.org. Our podcast was produced, as always, by Arias Dare and facilitated by Chatter Carroll and Christina Lee. Lastly, a reminder that one random reviewer per week will win a free NK News membership, so please review us after listening on your favorite podcast platform and you might win. Also, you can save $50 off your NK News subscription by using the code podcast at the checkout. Thanks for listening and check us out next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Ciao.